0: beyond the glass. I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and chapter 21 and the first five verses will be our scripture text for the message this morning. Now I'll warn you in advance during the next six weeks we're going to look at a ton of scripture. Uh, I would encourage you to bring along uh, a notepad or have the section in the program open so uh, you can take down some notes because we're going to be throwing a lot of information at you about what Scripture has to say, about what heaven is going to be like. And uh, I I would just encourage you to have your Bible with you. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. Turn to those that you can find, those that you can't find. Uh, That's okay. Use your table of contents and uh, we will just uh, jump in and study what the Word has to say about life beyond the glass. Let's read together Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 through 5. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, And there will be no more death or mourning or pain or or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You know, folks, it's impossible to read the New Testament and see a glimpse of the early disciples of Jesus Christ without seeing their intense longing for heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, the theme section of scripture for all uh, this year, Paul writes and he says this, Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed every single day. In fact, our light and moment, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory uh, for us. So we fix our eyes not on what we can see, but what we can't see yet, eternity. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now all year long I'm talking about fixing our eyes on eternity and I realize that this is an uphill struggle for me for two reasons. Number one, I know that Satan has convinced all of us that uh, heaven's just going to be a boring place. And I think I know why. It's because our lives in Christ so often are so boring that we feel like that heaven must be boring as well. But I think there's another reason. I think it is because Satan has convinced us that this life that we see every single day is all that there is. You know, struggling over the bills to pay, struggling with our children, struggling in our marriage, struggling in our home and our job, that this is what life is all about. And we overlook the fact that heaven, through the glass, is coming. Now, this morning I want to introduce you uh, to a friend of mine. It's hard for you all to see him uh, because he's kind of shy. But this is Jaws, okay? Say, say, hey, Jaws, how you doing? Y'all say hello. Uh, you know, good, good, good show. He's back here in the back. Now, Jaws is a, a very fascinating creature. Uh, whether you know it or not, he's a fish, okay? He lives in the water. And, uh, but you may or may not realize this, that Jaws was not created to live in a fishbowl. Did you realize that? Jaws was created to live in a life far beyond the bowl that he lives in. But Jaws has a couple of problems. Number one, Jaws lives in a very, very boring environment. Now, I thought about adding, he's got some gravel in the bottom. I thought about adding one of those fake houses, uh, you know, so he would feel comfortable, but I realized. Fish don't live in houses, you know, so that would be kind of dumb to him. I thought about putting fake trees in it and all that sort of thing. And I thought, well, you know, Jaws wouldn't care about anything about like that. He's not a, a bird, you know, so he wouldn't live in a tree. And so I just left the bowl empty. But his life's very, very boring. Most of the time, all Jaws does is just sit there in a corner. the in the corner, he's in a round room. You know that's insanity. They uh, so find the corner. You know it's a boring life for him. But there's something else that I want you to notice about Jaws. Jaws does not understand that he was created for something far more than just this. You see, Jaws can't see beyond the glass, and because he can't see beyond the glass. He cannot even conceive of the world that God created him for. Folks, I want to teach you during these next six weeks that that's exactly what your problem is and what my problem is. Because we are so focused on our little bowl, our environment, we cannot see life beyond the glass that God has created us to live in. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, No eye has seen, and no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Holy Spirit. What I want to do over the next six weeks is to help you to imagine, to think, and get beyond your preconceived notions of what heaven's going to be like, because I can promise you most of what you think heaven's going to be like probably isn't going to be at all what heaven's going to be like. And what I want to do is help you through scriptural lenses, have the Holy Spirit show you and teach you what heaven will be like. Now, this morning what I want to do is begin by teaching you that heaven will be a place of renewal and restoration. Renewal and restoration. Now, you have to get this concept Because if you don't get this concept, nothing else I'm going to talk about in the next five weeks is going to make sense to you at all. I want to talk today about two different things. Number one, I want to talk about paradise lost, and then I want to talk about the theology of re, R-E. First of all, let's talk talk about paradise lost. Now the Bible ends with a picture of paradise. We read the first five verses of uh, chapter 21, don't need to reread it, about the vision of paradise of being in heaven with God he comes back in chapter 22 and he says this the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the uh, river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its leaves uh, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations And no longer will there be any curse. That ought to be underlined in your Bible. No longer will there be any curse. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their forehead. And there will be no more night, and they will not need a light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now, the Bible ends with a picture of paradise, but what I want you to understand is it begins with exactly the same picture, a picture of paradise. I want you to go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, or the book of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means in chapter 1 and verse 1. This is what you read, the very first words of the Bible. It says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, in six days, the Bible says in the, uh, during the first chapter that God creates light on the first day. He creates sky and water on the second day. He creates land, sea, and vegetation on day number three. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars on day number four. He creates all living creatures on the water and in the sky on day number five. And he creates all the living creatures on the land and humans on day six. And on day seven... God rested. It is an amazing thing to me to notice the creativity of our God in the first seven days of creation. The other day we happened to uh, have the opportunity to be in Baltimore uh, uh, to to visit someone in the hospital at John Hopkins University and we took a, a part of the afternoon to go over to the National Aquarium. If you've ever been there or any major aquarium, you are amazed at the creativity of our God. You see, God didn't create just one fish. He created about a gazillion types of fish. And it's an amazing thing. Man, I stood in the room of jellyfish for, it was, I mean, a long, long time, marveling over jellyfish. And you say, man, aren't jellyfish the thing you pick up on the beach and throw? Well, yeah, they're ugly on the beach, but man, in their own native environment, they are incredible. And God didn't just create one type, but many, many types. And that is an amazing thing for me to understand. Now the Bible describes the place that the first human couple lived in Genesis chapter two and verse eight and nine. We read these words Genesis two eight and nine. It says the Lord God uh, planted a garden in the east uh, in Eden, and there he put man uh, that he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees uh, to uh, tree, uh, made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden uh, were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and uh, and evil. The word Eden means delight or paradise. Now what was it like in that place of delight or paradise for this first couple uh, uh, where they lived? Well, in verse 15 of chapter 2, we read that it was a place of work and satisfaction. You might say, hey, those two words don't go together, but in God's economy, they do work that brings satisfaction. Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. In verse 19 and 20, we find out that it was a place of wonder and creativity. Not only was God creative, but the very first human that he ever made was creative as well. It says in verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. It was a place of work and satisfaction. It was a place of wonder and creativity, but it was also a place of relationship and of pleasure. Verse 22 uh, through 25 uh, says this. It says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she will be be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Watch this. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's God's plan for a married couple. Intimacy and pleasure and delight. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, God introduces uh, his arch enemy, the, uh, the devil. That's Satan. Now, I want you to understand that Satan was not created an evil beast, but according to Ezekiel and Isaiah, he was created just as uh, one of the archangels of heaven, a glorious being, but because of his own pride, he said, I want to be just like God, and he fell, and he was thrown to the earth. We read about that in those two passages of Scripture. This is what we read in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the uh, the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat of the tree uh, in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will become just like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. And she also gave some of it to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. Folks, I want you to understand that as a result of that act, a curse, God's curse, was brought on all mankind and all of God's creation. First of all, we read about the curse that was brought upon human relationships. Chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, uh, God said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing, and with pain you will give birth to your children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Second, we notice that creation, all of creation, experiences the curse uh, of God uh, and rebellion to God as well. Verse 17 down to verse 19 says, To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree uh, about which I commanded you, you must not eat. The ground is cursed because of you. And through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you return. Folks, I want you to understand that up until the curse, there was no such thing as starvation. There was no such thing as disease. There was no such thing as broken arms or broken limbs. There was no such thing as death. God made all of his creation experience his greatest curse. And that curse comes in the next paragraph, separation from God. Verse 22 says, And the Lord God said to the man, said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Verse 24 should be highlighted or circled. It's one of the key verses in all the Bible. And after he drove out... uh, After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Paradise lost. Adam and Eve had so much. a beautiful environment. A gorgeous garden to live in a life that was meaningful, pleasure, intimacy with the one that they loved the very most, one another. But because of their rebellion and rejection of God, God drove them out of the garden. In fact, he said, you can never come back to the garden. And to make sure that would happen, he placed an angel between them and the garden with a flaming sword and said, you'll never come back into my presence again. Folks, what I want you to understand, while you may have never seen that flaming sword or that angel standing at the the entrance of the garden through physical eyes, you've experienced it every single day of your life. Every time you've seen a starving child, you've seen that separation from mankind and God. Every time you've seen horrendous poverty or illness or death or something unfair, Carol and I were at Johns Hopkins Hospital the other morning in in the uh, pediatric unit. As we watched child after child after child go into surgery. We watched one mom, a little baby went into surgery and the baby couldn't have been, wasn't even a toddler yet and he was in surgery all day long. I had to say to myself, my God, why? Why? And I was reminded of the angel and the curse, and the sword that separates us from Almighty God. The question that we have to ask, though, as we're talking about eternity and what heaven will really be like, is at this verse of Scripture, did God just chuck his original plan? Did he just say, you know, the earth and... All of that that I created, I I just have to strike that off my list and, and I'm going to create something new so that people that will come to know me will be able to go to one day. In other words, did God who owns the earth, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, did he just simply sign the title of his world over to Satan and forget about his world? Is Earth just a place for us to live and to enjoy for a few years and will God one day snatch us away from the phrase my mom has said so many times, from this old world and take us to heaven and get rid of this old world? Folks, i got to tell you, for a long, long time, I thought that's what the Bible taught, that God created heaven for you and me. God created heaven for you and I to go to, and then he's going to scrap all of his creation, all of his universe, and one day we're going to be in a brand new place that is far away from this old world. But then I began examining what Scripture had to say, and I realized that's not at all, not at all, what the Bible has to say. That brings us to the theology of re, R-E, the theology of R-E. Now the theology of re refers to the Bible's repeated use of words like reconcile and return and recover and regenerate and resurrection. Each one of those words and many, many more begins with a prefix re all suggesting a return to the original condition of that which was lost. I want to give you just three of them very quickly this morning uh, to help you understand what the Bible has to say about this theology of what I call the theology of re. The first is the word restore. Write it down on your outline, the word restore, and turn to your New Testament to Peter's second sermon found in the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, everybody turn with me. There's a fascinating passage of Scripture. The Apostle Peter's preaching a second sermon. Now, uh, Aaron shared with us last Sunday uh, about Aaron's, uh, about uh, Peter's first sermon is on the Day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter two, and uh, the Day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon was very, very clear. He said, "You need to repent because you need God. You need to repent as individuals because you need God." And Peter goes beyond that, even though that was still uh, the case, but he goes beyond that, and he goes a little bit deeper in theology, helping us to understand uh, the importance of our repentance. Notice what he says in Acts chapter 3, in verse 19 to 21. In uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, Peter says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's sermon number one. He just repeats that. And the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit that comes upon us. That's what God wants our lives to be like, a time of refreshing. Not a time of boredom, not a time of just coming to church, not a time of just doing, living according to the rules, but a time of refreshing every single day by God's presence within us. Verse 20. And that he might send Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now watch verse 21. This is significant. Jesus must remain in heaven until the time he comes for God to restore everything. Say everything out loud. What? Everything. As he promised long ago through the apostles. Now in Peter's first sermon, he said repent because you need God. In the second sermon, he says repent because all of creation needs God as well. Now, don't miss what Peter says needs to be and will be restored when Jesus comes back. Notice Peter does not say that all good Christian people are going to be restored. That's what most of us think when we go to heaven, we're going to have that restoration that heaven's all about us. But that's not what he says. What will be restored? Look at your Bible, not at me. What will be restored? I Say it out loud. Everything. Now, what does everything mean? Everything means everything. Everything. All of God's creation. Everything will be restored. Word number two, write down the word redemption. The word redemption, and take your Bible, turn with me over to the, book, the next book of the Bible, the book of Romans chapter 8. This is a fascinating passage of Scripture that oftentimes is overlooked, and I'll tell you why. Because we so often think that life is about us that God is about us, that God is concerned only about us, but I want you to notice that redemption does not just have to do with you and I, but it has to do with all of creation. Now turn with me, read along, let's study together, think with me what the Apostle Paul spoke uh, as he was inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, love this section of Scripture. It ought to be highlighted in your Bible. It says in verse 19... The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Another R word, uh, reword. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Let me ask you, when was the creation subjected to frustration? Huh? We read about it, Garden of Eden, the curse, remember that? Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, that's God. But watch this, And hope that cre- the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. He's talking about creation, rocks, trees, animals, birds, all of creation, stars. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as the sons. Say it out loud, the what? The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it. Patiently. Folks, do you remember the curse? It wasn't just man and woman that were cursed. It was all of God's creation cursed. Before the curse, there was never any sickness. Before the creation, there was never any death. Before the creation, animals and plants did not decay. Before creation, life Was life? You ever want stop to wonder what creation must think about? You know, mankind. After all, it was our choice that caused them to have the curse, right? You ever wonder what they thought about mankind? You ever wonder what creation thinks when a little baby or an older man dies or a lady? You ever wonder what creation thinks when? starvation occurs around our world. Yeah, I, I, How many people watch the boat, the cruise ship that came into Alabama the other night and the folks getting off? Oh, it was the worst experience of our lives. We had to eat tomato sandwiches. You know, it was awful. We had to, we had to go to the bathroom in a red bag and put it out in the hallway. You know what I want to say? Get life. Let me take you to Africa or, 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 or uh, Haiti. And let me show you, people don't just live on a cruise ship for a week in trouble, but live their entire lives. like. You ever wonder what creation thinks about creation gone amok? You ever think creation thinks, you know, man, they deserve it. And then another one's gone, boom, yeah, he deserved this. He caused all this mess to happen to me. Not according to the Bible. Watch this. The Bible says here, that all creation groans and longs and looks forward to the day when Jesus will return and that the saved the saints will be shown. You see, Paul says our redemption is what they're longing for. Why? I believe it's because all of creation can see what we can't see. All of creation understands, man, what it was created for. It was for the glory of God, not for their own selfish desires. Only us humans are so selfish to think that everything revolves around us and my pleasure and getting what I want. And all of creation looks with huge expectation beyond the glass and what life will be like when Jesus returns. Man, I want to blow your mind with this next idea that Scripture teaches so clearly, and that is renewal of all things. And I want you to go back to Revelation chapter 21 where we started. We're going to read a passage of Scripture again that we read that you probably skipped over. You've probably never thought at length at all about this concept, but the Bible teaches it so clearly four different times, uh, it mentions this specifically, and uh, dozens and dozens of times it alludes to it. Chapter 21, verse 1. It says, then I saw, uh, the, the word is the word renewal, by the way. Then I saw a new heaven. Say that out loud. Then I saw what? A new heaven. Now, we all believe that. We all believe the heaven's out there one day, and we're going to sail off to heaven. We don't know where it is. We know what it's going to be light, like, but it's going to be mystical and weird and strange and odd, streets of gold and harps and, uh, you know, sitting on a cloud, uh, all of that stuff. That's what heaven's going to be like, right? Wrong, according to the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a what? Read it out loud. What? John doesn't say, I saw a new heaven coming down from heaven, from God. But I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So that we did not this, mistake this. In verse 5, he comes back and he says, He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And he said, you write this down, for the words are trustworthy and they are true. God didn't say I saw just a new heaven, but I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, God says, I will create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered anymore. Peter writes and he says in 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 13, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will disappear with a roar that means they'll vanish, boom, vanish and the elements will be destroyed by fire, dissolved and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare, it means burnt to the ground but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth the home of righteousness now over the next five weeks we're going to talk a whole lot more about the new heaven and the new earth and what life there's going to be like and I hope you'll join me every single time uh, and for this mind-bending uh, description of what the Bible has to say about what heaven's going to be like by the way uh, if there's a book that I would encourage you to buy it would be Randy Alcorn's book just simply titled heaven it is by far the best book on heaven and by the way, uh, you're going to spend a long time there uh, if, you're, if you're a believer. You all know what it's going to be about, okay? Uh, so I'd highly recommend you grab that book and, uh, and, and study through that. But I want you to understand this in closing, that only in our self-centered minds would we think that God's only interested in us, restoring us, redeeming us, renewing us. But folks, that's not God's mind at all. Yeah, He wants to restore us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to renew us. He wants all of us to be in heaven with Him. But folks, the Bible teaches over and over and over again that we are only a part of God's restoration process. And that God restores, redeems, and renews all of His creation in the new heaven and the new earth. The question we must ask now is the one we ask at the end of every one of my message. The phrase is, say it out loud with me, so what? I didn't hear you. So what? So what? All of this, what does it mean for me? I want to give you two words very quickly, and then we're going to shut down this morning. The first word is the word shift. Shift, S-H-I-F-T, shift. Folks, I want you to, through this whole process, I want you to shift your longings from the present earth to the new heavens and the new earth. What do I mean by that? I want you to shift your longing for happiness. And that's what we think life is all about, isn't it? For me to be happy. I ought to be happy. This relationship isn't making me happy. I dump this relationship and I find another one. This church didn't make me happy. I dump this church and find me another one. This job didn't make me happy. Because life is about me being happy, right? Wrong. Life is about giving God glory, okay? And I want you to shift that in your mind. Make that huge shift. It's significant. I want you to shift uh, from your few years here to learning about the place you're going to spend eternity. Because, folks, you're either going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, one place or the other. So depending on where you want to go, I would uh, would encourage you to spend a lot of time in the Bible reading and finding out about it. Now, if you want to go to hell, there's a lot that you can read about. We'll talk about hell later on in the year. Uh, but I don't think that's where you want to go. And so I would focus your attention on the Word of God about where you're going to spend eternity. And I would suggest that you shift from... Uh, making your ends meet to preparing to meet your end because that's a major difference. The first word i give you is shift. The second word I would give you is give. Give. And that is give your life completely to Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning you've never named him as Savior of your life. And I want you to understand that one day Jesus is going to come back And those folks in Russia that saw the meteor sail overhead and crash windows, man, that ain't going to be nothing compared to the day that Jesus comes back and every eye sees him and, I mean, the earth is shaken. And, uh, by the way, this earth will be destroyed and a brand new one brought about and a new heaven, and everybody's going to witness. Folks, are you ready for that day? Give your life to Jesus. I'll tell you how. It happens by simply believing in your heart that Jesus died and rose again. It happens, number two, by confessing him as Lord of your life. I'd encourage you to come this morning and do that very thing before people. Jesus said, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. Thirdly, repent of your sin. Repent of sin. That means saying, God, I have screwed up my life, and I need to head in a new direction. And then seal the deal by being baptized in Christ. Being baptized in Christ, what a humbling experience. to Say, God, I'm just going to give my heart to you and I'm going to begin walking with you every single day. Well, that's your choice. We'd love for you to do that. We're going to sing a song to give you the opportunity uh, to make that happen in your life. I'll be here at the front. Aaron will be here at the front, and uh, we'd love to make that happen this morning. Let's pray together today. Father God, thank you for this time of study of your word. It's bent our minds. It's caused us to think more deeply than what we probably wanted to think about this morning. Some of us, our brains are hurting because we're having to stretch and think of new things. I pray, Father, that we'll come to understand what the new heaven the new earth will be like because, Lord, we want to spend eternity with you. We do not want to spend eternity uh, in, in hell with Satan and all of his angels. We want to spend it in you, with you. So, Father, if there's one here this morning that needs to name Jesus as Savior of their life, I just pray, Father, you give them the guts to step out as we sing and come and uh, name him as Savior of their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Folks, let's stand together. Let's sing.